Just a reminder that the Dear Prudence podcast happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel M. Lavery. With me in the studio this week is Rachel Fershleiser, who works in book publishing, is the co-creator of the Six Word Memoir Project, and once made a zine about soup. And a very good zine it was, Rachel. Thank you. I learned so much about soup from that zine. I do love soup. I'm really happy we could do that for you. I I am too. It, it introduced me to a, a new world of soup, and I'm just like between soup and what is by now at the point people listening to this will be older news, but is today new news uh, that Minneapolis is uh, pledging to dismantle their police department. Amazing. Those are two good things you can hang your hat on. And we will take them at this moment in time. Soup and and fewer cops, a good thing uh, that we can just, you know, put a big gold star up next to them and then try to do the next right thing. Speaking of which, I am so excited about our first letter because it is both a wonderful problem that I've never had, and also just very charming, I think. Would, would you like me to read it? I, You know what? I would. I would. I would like that. I, th- I also just realized as soon as I said it, I was like, oh yeah, there's also a twist where like one of the family members is like at risk of, of being put in prison. And then I was like, oh yeah, it's not just like a fun, whimsical, nudist mom question. It's also like- Yeah, this one really, it really has a twist. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Would you please um, read it? Yes. My mother is secretly living in a nudist colony. My mother lives several states away from my siblings and me, in a place owned by her romantic partner. We've inadvertently discovered that her partner also owns a property in a clothing-optional community a few hours away. I had no intention of asking my mother about this, or informing her if she wasn't already aware, because obviously that would be very awkward. But in our most recent phone call, she told a couple of anecdotes that basically confirmed that they have been living at this alternate address. I don't care if my mom lives in a clothing-optional community or even that she's lying about where she actually lives, but I have been recontextualizing a lot of information she shared with me. Twist. (laughs) My brother is in prison awaiting sentencing, and my mother is the main contact for his lawyer. Two months ago, his lawyer sent her time-sensitive court documents, and my mother made a big deal about how they arrived after the due date. Thanks to COVID, the due date was extended anyway, but I'm starting to think that they arrived on time and she wasn't regularly getting her mail from that address. Prudy, how can I tell my mom it's important that my brother's lawyer have the contact information for her real primary address without getting into an awkward conversation? I would just ask my brother to make me the primary contact, but he has very limited access to email and phones right now. As you say, a twist. So I I've been going a little bit back and forth on my strategy for how I think this person should handle it. And I, as I see it, I think there's basically two options, both of which are fine. It just depends <laughs> on how you define fine, I guess. Like the first one is, and you tell me what you think here. Like you could just say to your mom, please talk to the lawyer about how the letters didn't get there on time and be sure to hash this out with them. And then 
you know, trust that she'll say whatever she needs to say to the lawyer. That to me seems like the most straightforward one. You know the issue. She knows you know the issue. There's really no need to go into the nudist colony thing. It's really just right. she should talk to the lawyer, right? Well, I question the premise. It seems extremely feasible to me that the documents showed up totally not when they were supposed to because I have no faith in the system. Right. But but I don't know that you need to get into all of it to be like, hey, mom, I'm really worried about those documents. Are you sure you're checking the mail every day? Yeah, that that to me seems like the most straightforward one. And to just encourage her like, hey, if you're worried about this, you need to go tell the lawyer and like maybe come up with some sort of system whereby the lawyer like calls you when they mail stuff out. But that right. that's fixable. The The other thing I think is like, that's where we get into the question of like, is it true when you say, I don't care if my mom lives in a clothing optional community <laughs> or even that she's lying? Because it seems to me like you do care a little bit and that's fine. Like you don't have to pretend to be chill. I would not be chill in your position. That doesn't mean I'd like freak out and demand that my mother live in a blazers only colony, but like you're allowed to feel a little uncomfortable, right? Well, that's the twist of this letter because I read the first paragraph and I was like, this is great. Let mom do her thing. Love it. Yeah. And th- and then it gets like much more serious and important. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I have no qualms about living clothing optional. Lying to your children about where you live is questionable. But if you think your children are going to judge you, then that could be relevant. Yeah. And it's like, it's not that she doesn't have access to the other place. Like I get why she did it. I don't. I don't think there's necessarily like concrete evidence that she's been really lax about picking up her mail. Um, And so I think you can let go of some of the fears of like, is my mother just turning into this person who no longer cares about deadlines or her kids and all she wants to do is run around naked playing tennis? Um, I I feel like there was a little bit of the judgment underlying here. It's like, can she be trusted? Well, when you say there's two options, is the other one to call up her mom and be like, let's talk about this nudist lifestyle of yours? Oh, I wouldn't even say like, let's talk about it. I would just be like, hey, mom, this is going to be weird. But I accidentally found out that you've been uh, living in a nudist colony. And I'm curious if that's where you were when the documents came in. And then your mom could either say like, whoops, but no, I was actually back at the house and they really did arrive late. Or she can say, oh, yeah, all right, I'll have them forward it more or whatever. But you also don't, like, I don't know. You could just admit it. You could just say that you know it and then Mm -hmm. your mom doesn't have to, like, explain it or apologize it. You could just say that you know what you know and then at least you both acknowledge that, you know, your mother lives in a body. Yeah, I'm usually big on, like, have an open conversation about everything, but it's not necessarily germane to the issue here. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out as an option because I think part of the thing here is like, you know, we could never talk about it. It would be the most uncomfortable thing in the world. What are we going to do? And it's just kind of like, you could also just have one sort of weird conversation where you were like, oh, yeah, my mom lives <laughs> at a nudist colony. Kind of wacky. I don't have to go, you know? Yes. And also, I hope your brother's okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the main issue. I think it's plausible, your mother's story. I don't think you have to be terribly concerned that this is this huge new sign of irresponsibility and she's never going to regularly check her mail again because all she wants to do is run around naked. I think you some of You can check that, the mail naked if you're in a if you're in a clothing optional sort of place, probably. She can probably handle both. I think some of the anxiety actually does come from a little place of judgment. That's fine. You're allowed to have a judgmental reaction to something your parents do. And if you acknowledge it, that can hopefully make it move on a little bit quicker. But yeah, either talk to her with or without the context of nudity as you see fit. Uh, and then, you know, if you also want to get on the horn with the lawyer and just be like, I really want to make sure all documents get there on time. Can you please coordinate with both of us? That's fine too. Yeah. That seems important too. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, the, the real issue is like getting everybody who needs to be in contact with the lawyer's office in that contact and then letting the nudity fade into the background. Yeah. Which is always the dream. I think we're ready to move on to the next one. The subject is bad idea, baby. Dear Prudence, my girlfriend Jay is pregnant. It's not ideal between the pandemic, the fact that we only moved in together because of the pandemic, and the fact that before that we'd only been together for five months, but we've talked it out and we're ultimately excited to bring our child into the world. The only shadow on the horizon is that, barring a miracle, I'm not the father. When I was a teenager, I had cancer and the treatment left me infertile. But I do like children and always wanted to have a family. I have spermed banked and I'm not against adoption. If we're both happy, is it so terrible not to admit that I know it's probably a lie that I'm the father? I guess I should be angry Jay cheated on me, but I'm not really. My main hesitation is that if it's bad to lie to children about adoption, this probably isn't great either. (sighs) Yeah. Shall I? Please. Um, yes, it is so terrible not to admit that you know. Yeah. And and in a way, I, I don't see the problem here because if you're okay with it and she's okay with it and you've done the hard part of the decision making, you sit down and you s- talk about why you think the kid's not yours and that you're poss- probably on board anyway and let's hash it out. But I, I'm confused about a lot of things because so you've been dating this woman who does not know about your childhood cancer. Well, I mean, honestly, if they've only been together five months, you know, some people tend to keep health stuff, especially like pretty private. I can, I can yeah. understand a person who who maybe hadn't mentioned it. I I, I guess yeah. I, I also would think it would come up, especially because people who move in together often also talk about like plans or ideas about kids, but it, it doesn't strike me as like totally unheard of that she might not know, or she might know that he had cancer, um, but not know about the side effects of the treatment. Right. Also, if she was cheating, was she cheating during the pandemic? And if so, how? Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it's like, I, I think you guys can absolutely decide to raise this child together. I just don't think that you have to pretend that you're not infertile to talk about it. Yes, like, that's kind of what have, I'm saying. Very kind of good. Good news for her. You know what I mean? You can say like, I don't know if you've talked about it before or not. You know, you bring that context to the conversation, but just say like, so I actually cannot have uh, biological children with the sperm that's in my body right now. So we should talk about who the biological child of this father is, especially because this is a person who could potentially like show up at some point and say like, I want to be involved or who maybe should be, you know, contributing something for child support. Like this is, this is, you, you know, you can't just be like, you know, God bless him wherever he is. Let's hope he never turns up, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that the good news here is if you love this person and you want to raise a child with her, then you can hash the stuff out together. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I get that like you two moved in under kind of bizarre circumstances. You hadn't been together a super long time. I understand why it doesn't feel like we've been together for nine years and we've always been strictly monogamous. So the cheating was really devastating. It might feel a little bit more like, look, this relationship has proceeded in weird ways, but I'm into it and I love you and I would really enjoy being a father with you. That's all great. But um, yeah, start with, I don't think this baby is mine. And that, you know, see where that conversation goes. Do we want to leave room for a miracle? 
Rachel, do we want to leave that? I was thinking that too, actually. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's a miracle. I don't know a lot about the cancer treatment and stuff. There is a probably in parentheses in this uh, email here. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, not to get too daytime television about it, but you could have a test, right? Yeah. Find out for sure whether it's your biological child. Yeah. And then I I think that's smart, too, because b- before you just then say the test, I think the thing to do would be to say, I'm really surprised because uh, I, I've been told by multiple doctors that I'm infertile. And 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 then to really stress, like, if there was somebody else, I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I, I You know, I just want to have this conversation. I'm not looking to trap you into admitting something. I'm not trying to get you on the hook for something else. I'm in. But yeah, I think to start with that. Which is probably than, like the best news she's ever heard, right? Right. Like, I think it's really nice that you can proceed into this conversation from a place of kind of love and security. Yeah. And then, yeah, if she's like, nope, it's 100% yours. It, it really was the miracle. Uh, you know, it's kind of up to you at that point if you want to push it or not. I mean, I know that like when you say things like, let's have a paternity test, people don't usually respond with like, terrific, I love this. But, yeah, you know, if you make it clear what your priorities are, hopefully that will either give her room to say like, yep, it was somebody else. This is an awkward conversation, but I'm willing to have it and let's figure out our next steps. But, yeah, you don't have to just pretend that you don't have any questions in order to proceed with parenting with her. And you don't have to go in like leveling accusations in order to initiate a conversation about the possibility that somebody else is the biological father. Right. And as someone who has been raising a child with someone for 18 and a half months now, like there will be a lot of scary conversations you have to have. So you might as well get on board from the beginning. And as somebody who like couldn't have biological children with my partner, uh, even if we both really, really wanted to, they can also understand the sense of like, oh, wow, well, I I couldn't have made this happen. But since there's going to be a baby coming, like, let's talk about it in terms of excitement and possibility. So I I feel that too. And I'm excited for you. I hope you write back. I want to hear how that conversation goes. Yeah, me too. Also, good luck finding childcare because, oh my gosh, it sure seems like pandemic and childcare stuff is... I just put my hands down very heavily, like to gesture. Oh, yeah, we don't intensity. Have any. Yeah. But you should still have a baby. Babies are still great. Babies are still exciting. I like mine. But you should also be honest. Would you please uh, read our next letter? Should I talk to my friend about dementia? Dear Prudence, I have made a new friend over the past year. Mary is in her early 50s and both of her parents had dementia. Her father is dead, and her mother now lives in a care facility. She is concerned about her own prospects. Sadly, I am wondering if she is already on that path. She repeats things on a regular basis, often as though she is telling me something for the first time. She doesn't seem to recall discussing them before or my reactions. She also makes jokes that aren't funny and often don't make sense, and she's a highly intelligent person. Her personal life is kind of a disaster. She got herself into quite a predicament where she hasn't officially divorced her husband, but has entered into a serious relationship with another man, and they've just bought a house together. Neither knows about the other. They live in different states. The thing is, I don't know if this is just her, because I haven't known her for very long, or whether all of these things are red flags indicating a deteriorating condition, and I don't know how to raise it if it's the latter. Any thoughts? I think you can maybe for now leave aside the thing about her dating life being a disaster, right? I don't know if that's a symptom of dementia. <laughs> yeah, I but mean, 
There's so many reasons you could have a complicated personal life. Right. What well, made me wonder too if this person knows the current partner. Right. Because that seems like someone who might have insight on Mary as well. Not that I advocate going behind her back. Yeah. I guess it seems to me like you don't need to broach all the reasons for your concerns to say like, I know you're concerned about your parents and heritability. Are you seeing a doctor? Yeah, that to me seemed like the super obvious, like you've already got your foot in the door. She has told you because of my family history, I'm worried about my own prospects with dementia. And so I think the thing there is just to say like, hey, you've mentioned this before. Do you talk to your doctor about it? If not, would it relieve some of the anxiety if I were to help you set up that appointment? I could go with you. I could take notes. I could help you ask questions. I could help you go to follow-up appointments. Like Right, like just to check in, just to yeah. see how you're doing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's usually the main problem when people write in about a friend or a family member that they worry may um, possibly be experiencing early stages of dementia. Often the problem is like they won't talk about it. They won't acknowledge the possibility. They refuse to see a doctor. So the fact that she's willing is huge. Yeah, I mean, she says she's concerned about her own prospects and not necessarily whether she's interested in medical care, but that doesn't seem like a huge leap. It's not like, oh, I think you're acting bonkers. You should get a doctor. It's just like a responsible taking care of yourself kind of thing. Yeah. So I would absolutely like bring up the fact that she's mentioned it in the past, say that you would be more than happy to do whatever you could to, to facilitate a checkup. And you know, depending on how that conversation goes, if she seems receptive, you could say something about the fact that she sometimes repeats things and doesn't seem to remember talking to you about them before, that seems really like directly related um, and something that you can flag without having get, having to get into. And also, I think your divorce is really messy. Like that's that yeah. could be a ton of things. The forgetfulness. I just worry that could really scare her. Yeah. Yeah. I think play that one by ear. If she's just receptive to going and, and you go yeah. with her, you know, you don't have to push the point. Like, take a win. And by the way, your jokes are terrible. Oh. Right? Like, she probably doesn't need to know that part. I'm trying to read this one generously because it does seem like the letter writer really cares about Mary. But yes, I agree. Right. We'll just we'll just go with the, with the caring for yourself, check up part of it, and maybe, like, let the rest of it. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, don't mention her personal life. That's not you know, you you don't you just don't know. And even if she were experiencing early onset dementia, it's also possible that she would make similarly messy choices if she had them to make 10 years ago. But yeah, certainly if you would also like to scale back on hearing about like her new boyfriend as long as she's still technically with her husband, that that's also fine too. Like you don't have to get too pulled into her personal life if you don't want to. Yeah, but I think it's it's good that you care about her health and you just push on that side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because I can imagine in Mary's position, she may both feel like I'm worried. I would want to know. And I also don't want confirmation if I might be in the early stages because there's not a lot I can do about it. And that's not to say there's not no treatments, but I, I can understand that sort of push and pull of I'm worried, but I don't want to get confirmation because that would be scarier than at least being able to convince myself that it's not dementia. And that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. But our next question is nice and easy. Not easy in the sense of like not a big deal, but easy in the sense of super straightforward answer. And I just want to get out of the way. My my next uh, advice is going to be to steal something. It's going to be to commit a crime. Stealing. So I just want to 
throw that out there so nobody gets too surprised. Dear Prudence is telling this person to do some theft. And I think it's my turn to read it. So here we go. Yep. Bearing in mind, the answer to this is steal it. Subject, racist statue. Dear Prudence, I'm a white woman in my mid-20s, and I've been living in the town I grew up in with my parents to save money for a few months now. I've been running lately and noticed that a house in my community has a jockey statue on the front lawn and in front of it a water bowl for dogs. These are not my immediate neighbors. I don't know who they are and neither do my parents. This statue has been bothering me for a while, but I've always been unsure what to do about it. Racism has always been present in a suburb I grew up in, but I've never seen something like this in my neighborhood. There are a few more in my town and in neighboring towns that I've noticed since being home. My neighborhood is majority white, and it breaks my heart every time I'm running and see the statue. Should I say something to them? And if so, what? I can't believe that it's up. I wonder if anyone's ever said anything to them about it. If I do approach them, how do I do so, since I don't know them and rarely, if ever, see them outside? Should I just say, hey, that statue is racist and leave it at that? They must know it's racist. It's their property and ultimately their choice to have what they want on it. It's just so crazy. Help? Steal it. I'm dead serious. <laughs> Steal it. Steal it the next time you're out for a run. If you think they're going to be in the house looking out, go for a run at night. Steal it and throw it in a river. It's, it's great advice. But yeah, fucking steal it. This is timely. Like, yeah, exactly. Like you may have seen in the news that people are, uh, you know, going to racist statues and saying, we don't have to have this here. We can throw it in a river. And throwing them in the river. Yeah, it's incredibly fucking racist. Everything about it is racist. Jockey statues are racist. You should throw that away. You should destroy it and throw it away. And, you know, these aren't people that you know. This isn't the kind of conversation where you can really like use the weight of your relationship to um, uh, influence them. Sure, if you ever see them, you can also be like, hey, fuck your racist statue, but fucking throw it in a river. Um, and, and that line about like, it's their property and their choice to have what they want on it. Less deference for private property and more throwing away racist statues is, I think, just good blanket advice for this letter writer. Here, here. Yeah, you know. They're stupid. Property is stupid and fake. Racism is shitty and real. Of course they know that it's racist. The fact that you've seen some of these jockey statues in your majority white town is on purpose, and it's to signal to black people that they're not welcome. Yeah, maybe get a couple of friends and throw all of them in the river. Yeah, yeah, like get a little gang together and be like, well, we, you know, uh, appropriately socially distancing, of course, go go in a fleet of of cars if, if you have to. But yeah, go... Um, Go on a little run and just uh, destroy these fucking statues. I'm dead serious. Commit a crime. You have my permission. Do it. Anything else? Should 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 uh, should she run back and and like um, I don't know, put something on their lawn? No, she should just take stuff away. Less. They need less stuff. They have too much stuff. You should relieve them of it. Yeah, fantastic. Great. Easy. Straightforward. Done. Write us back when you've done it and let us know how you're doing. Okay. Whew. Okay. Got to move on to the next one. Did I read the last one? Did you? I can never yeah. remember. Yeah. Uh, should I stay or should I go? Dear Prudence, my boyfriend and I have been dating for 10 months and quarantining together since March. In wake of recent events leading to George Floyd's death and protests, I asked what he thought of the situation, being a former police officer. He said, let's wait for the facts to come out. Media always spins things to gain attention. I was left shocked as he refused to address the problem at hand and label the officer's behavior as unacceptable and racist. 
After watching the eight-minute video, all he said was, he may have had a weapon on him and cops need to go home at the end of the day. I can sympathize with him being in these shoes earlier, but I remain baffled by the blatant denial of addressing the truth. Should I stay or should I go? You should go. Oh, my God. This one's not even hard. Two of our questions were very, very easy today, and they both had to do with racism. Um, You should dump him. You should dump him and uh, tell him to fuck off. Uh, You should dump him twice. Yeah, you have a racist (laughs) ex-cop boyfriend who does what ex-cops do. Um, and you should dump the hell out of him. Yeah. Yeah. This one is like, just very upsetting. And I think you should reconsider the part about like the way that you extended to him sympathy before. I think in the future, you should not automatically extend sympathy to former cops. Um, and, uh, you should, uh, extend them no sympathy. They have chosen to pursue a, a career that depends upon, uh, brutalizing and harassing people and they should quit and spend the rest of their lives trying to make amends. Don't date any more ex-cops. And if you're living with someone who you aren't sure whether or not oppose police murder, yeah. you should not live with them. Yeah. Like, and the idea that he had to watch the video to make a decision is batshit to some of us. And I think it's really telling because when somebody's commitment to racism is so wrapped up in their sense of self, that's like watching any amount of suffering or racist violence is not going to sway them because he didn't actually care about the facts coming out. What he cared about was endlessly finding a reason for why it's okay for a police officer to murder a citizen. Um, And I just mean citizen in the sense of like a person in the same like neighborhood, in the same community, not in the sense of like citizens shouldn't be murdered and non-citizens should. Um, Really? He he did not care He's okay with murdering anyone? Yeah. You should go. Yeah. Yeah. You got to go dump him immediately. Don't give him any of his stuff back. Um, don't ever date him again. Yeah. Yeah. You. Yeah. And, you know, the, the part about where you're baffled, you're, you're, you're just seeing um, white supremacy move from having plausible deniability to having no plausible deniability. That's the only thing that changed. It's not baffling. It's just new to you. And so I'm so sorry that your boyfriend is an awful person. Get as far away from him as you can. And um, I hope you find great non-racist, non-ex-cop boyfriends in the future. Yeah. All right. We're go- now, we- now we get to go back into like one that is both like complex, but also not, um, not as immediately uh, a matter of public safety. So we're going to get to end on a note that is actually kind of related to your work with soup, which I'm excited about. Um, <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. I will say, I will say there was one aspect of this letter that I found quite charmingly naive and i look forward to mentioning that at the end of this letter (laughs) the subject is how much should food matter dear prudence my wife and i have been married for five years we both grew up with different conceptions of food i was brought up to view it as fuel and occasionally a social experience she was brought up to view it as an emotional outlet a reward for a good day for instance and something she spends a lot of time thinking about at times this has caused challenges for her She frequently talks about how she's always thinking about her next meal, and she sometimes overeats. My wife is about 20 pounds overweight, but this is not an issue to me at all. She's generally healthy and physically active. However, as we prepare to start a family together, I'm worried. I don't want our children to be overweight or struggle with self-control. I don't want them treating food as a reward to cheer them up after a bad day or celebrate a good day. I hate that I'm anxious about this, but I can't help it. Is this worth going to couples counseling about? How much should food philosophies matter in the way we bring up our children? 
Am I overreacting about what will ultimately be a small issue? (laughs) So the part that I found charmingly naive and, you know, put the charming with a big old grain of salt is the idea of like, gee whiz, I sure just want my children to have a regular relationship with food. Um, it's just like, which I'm certainly going to be able to effect by being so terrified of fat that they're not even born yet, and I'm worried they're going to be fat. Yeah, I mean, food is something that everyone needs to live. Uh, you have to eat it multiple times a day. Uh, you know, disordered eating, diet culture, fat phobia is so baked into so much of our society that that's not to say you can't hope that your kids will develop a healthy relationship with food. Of course you can hope for that. But the idea of just like, I have a normal neutral relationship to food. It was really straightforward to pick up and I just want to pass that along to my kids and I'll be able to control that by being like, now remember food's just fuel. How do I make sure that that happens? Just like, you cannot guarantee that. That's like saying, I hope to have kids who never struggle with self-esteem. Well then don't have kids. Like they're going to struggle with well, something. And even the most- I think this is like so messed up, Danny. I think I'm like angrier about this than you are. I like, I don't think it's a healthy relationship with food to think that it's only fuel. I oh. think that seeing it as something like emotional is very healthy. And I think that like not only to reward yourself or punish yourself, certainly, but to raise children who see food as part of culture and family and joy. I always think about my next meal and I think it's a wonderful way to live. Oh, I'm I'm so I'm sorry. 20 pounds overweight and I think that's a wonderful way to live too. Rachel, you don't think that he's totally neutral, normal, regular, <laughs> fine, the baseline by which all other people should be viewed? You think that maybe he actually has his own issues with food? Right. Well, and the idea that like men and women raised in our society can naturally have the exact same feelings toward their bodies is a little absurd in the first place. No, he's, he's so framing it as like, I grew up normal. Every once in a while I enjoy, I smile eating a sandwich once a month. I (laughs) smile. Um, but my freaky wife has all these issues, by the way, she's 20 pounds overweight, which I would love to just like throw this out there. I'd like to put a moratorium on people listing the number of pounds they estimate other people are overweight when they yeah. write to their letter. Like they're their to me. There's always this like, well, I've thought about it and it's this number. And I'm just like, what, what, what is, what is this information doing for me? What it like, you, you're like, it doesn't matter. She's so active. It's so great. But I did write down exactly how many pounds I think she needs to lose. Right. And you should be clear that she's like a little fat, but not like fat, fat. Right, right. Sort of what I take from 20 pounds overweight. Just enough that she should be grateful. I'm so chill. Also, if she's about to grow human beings in her body for with you, like (laughs) welcome, because that's uh, really easy on the female figure, let me tell you. Yeah. And I just love like, I don't want my kids to treat food as something that can cheer them up or celebrate a good day. Like, Jesus Christ, man, you want robots? Like, Right. God forbid he buy a kid an ice cream cone. I I understand the desire of like, I want my kids to feel a lot of flexibility and freedom around food. I want them to feel peaceful around their bodies and what their bodies can do. That's all good stuff. But the idea of like, I don't want them to like it. It's just, it's creepy and and it's upsetting. And I do think you guys should go to couples counseling, but I don't think it should be because your wife's messed up and you're normal. I think it's because you're both bringing issues about food to the table. Um, and that she is not weird and emotional and you are normal and fine. You also have <laughs> deep, deep-seated issues about control and like needing to have everything highly regimented and a fear of pleasure that you need to yeah. own up to. 
Well, and I don't want to get all like throw the whole man out, but like you don't even have children yet. You're thinking about starting a family and the number one issue on your mind Mm -hmm. is whether they're going to have a complicated relationship with food like five or 10 years from now. Like there are so many things that you worry about when you think about having children. And, And this is like a very strange preoccupation to me. Is that judgmental? No, not at all. I'm so there with you. It actually reminded me of a letter I got a while back from a a woman who was married to another woman. And she was like a pretty femme lesbian and she wore lots of makeup. And she was like, my wife always thought it was cute before, but now that we're talking about having kids, she's suddenly like, why do you wear makeup? It's like so patriarchal. And I think there's this weird tendency sometimes of people to pretend that they accept something about their partner And then all of a sudden when kids are on the table, there's this like, well, my kids can't be like this. It was okay for you because, you know, I'm not allowed to control you, but. Right. But um, now we're starting from scratch. So we better get it right. Right. And it's not lost on me that like, although in the other situation, both members of the couple were women in both of these instances, it has to do with like the idea of like an out of control femininity or like this out of control womanliness. That's like, she's a little big you know, one, two, three, four, five, 20 pounds. And like, she's got a lot of lipstick on. And what if our kids, you know, like you should want to raise kids who would like find value and joy and love and delight in their bodies and in their lives, regardless of whether they were overweight or not, or fat or not. Like you don't have to like tiptoe around it with like overweight words. Like you can just say fat. It's okay. Yeah. I don't know. I have concerns about this couple. I really do. Yeah. I think couples counseling is really good. And I think you should go with the understanding that you letter writer have as many issues about food as anyone else. And that you need help with some of those uh, ideas and judgments and assumptions that you make about food and about bodies. Yes. And if you do have children, I think you have to check in with yourself regularly that you are giving them healthy messages about food because I'm much more worried about the unhealthiness of the austerity message than the unhealthiness of you had a great day. Congratulations. Here's an ice cream cone. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say too, like if any of your kids do have anything like compulsive or emotional that has to do with food, I think one of the best things that you can do with a parent is say like, I I was never going to raise a child who didn't have any issues or didn't have any anxieties or didn't have any habits. Um, What I have here is an option to either really highlight it, make my kid even more self-conscious and anxious or like model some acceptance. Um, And I just, you know, like in my own family growing up, like it was so clearly communicated to me early, early on that the best type of person was an unbelievably like disciplined and restrictive eater. And that didn't actually make me not enjoy food that tasted good. So you guys aren't Jewish is what you're saying? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly not within the bosom of Christianity. Uh, It it just sounds so different than my upbringing. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it's very, it's very like white American evangelical thought, I think. And it's just like, it, it didn't make food taste less good. It just made me know like, the pleasure I'm experiencing right now is like bad and it's something I'm getting away with and it makes me less worthy than everyone else in my family. And like, that's what they were able to impress upon me, not, you know, only drink Soylent. There is a very Soylent vibe to yeah. this food is fuel. I don't like that sentence. I really, I, I bristle when somebody says food is fuel. It makes me suspicious. I think that they don't trust bodies and that they don't like pleasure and that freaks me out. And I, I just... Mm-hmm. um. I think this is a signal that somebody is not doing great. 
Yeah, I agree. Have we have we gone too hard on this letter writer? No, I think it just, you know, like surprise, surprise, like we've thought some about food and about how people talk about and try to restrict food, especially in like bodies that they think of as being like, you got to be extra disciplined. Um, yeah. And I really hope that your wife can figure out if um, if these are issues she's able to work with or if um, if they're not. Yeah. I just like, yeah. Oh, she likes to think about her next meal. Sometimes she has like two things of chips when we get guacamole and it's just like, I would so much rather be around someone like that than somebody who's like, food is fuel. Once I smiled when I saw a French fry. (laughs) My baby learned to say French fries recently. That's fantastic. Did she receive French fries as a reward for being so brilliant? Oh, yes. Fantastic. We're very proud. Fantastic. Children should get to have French fries when they say French fry, I think. I agree. I like French fries. I like you. Rachel, thank you so much for coming and being on the show. Thank you for having me. What a treat. It was a treat. It was a treat. It was a reward. And it was a reward that I enjoyed. I I need to stop digging into that last guy. (laughs) Um, But thank you again so, so much. Have a fabulous rest of the day. And um, I hope you make a zine about soup again soon. Thank you so much. It was great to talk with you. Fabulous. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Any parent who tries to come back after an abandonment should be like thrown to the wolves or hounded out of town. But this was not the right way to go about it. You have every reason to not trust your mother. And if your father says, you know, I'm not going to see you unless you're willing to like forgive your mom and have her over for dinner. That's really sad. But I don't know what you can do about that. Well, it's unclear if the mother is asking for forgiveness, right? If the mother is saying, I see why I shouldn't have done this and I would never do it again, that would be really different. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.